Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Bonjour, mesdames et messieurs. Bienvenue à la conférence Transat. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Transat conference call. Je cède maintenant la parole à Monsieur Christophe Annabelle, vice-président Affaires publiques. I would now like to turn the meeting over to Mr. Christophe Annabelle, Vice President, Corporate Affairs. Mr. Annabelle, la parole est à vous. Please go ahead. Thank you. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Transat conference call for the presentation of the financial results of the fourth quarter ended October 31st, 2021. I'm here with Annick Gerard, President and CEO, and Patrick Buy, CFO. Annick will provide her comments and observations on the current situation and on the operational and commercial plans for the future before Patrick reviews the financial results in more details. We will then answer questions from financial analysts. Questions from journalists will be handled offline. The conference call will be held in English, but questions may be asked in French or English. As usual, our investors' presentation has been updated and is posted on our website in the investors' section. Patrick may refer to it as he presents the results. Today's call contains forward-looking statements. There are risks that actual results will differ materially from those contemplated by these forward-looking statements. For, ad for additional information on such risks, we invite you to consult our filings with the Canadian Securities Commission. Forward-looking statements represent Transat's expectations as up to December the 9th, 2021, and accordingly are subject to change after such date. However, we disclaim any intention or obligation to update or revise any forward-looking statements, whether as a result of new information, future events, or otherwise, other than as required by law. Finally, we may refer to IFRS and non-IFRS financial measures. In addition to IFRS financial measures, we are using non-IFRS measures to assess the company's operational performance. It is likely that the non-IFRS financial measures used by the corporation will not be comparable to a similar measure reported by other issuers or those used by financial analysts as their measures may have different definitions. The measures used by the corporation are intended to provide additional information and should not be considered in isolation or as a substitute for IFRS financial performance measures. Additional information on non-IFRS financial measures, such as their definition and their reconciliation with the more comparable IFRS measures, are available in our annual report and our investors' presentation. With that, let me turn the call over to Annick for our opening remarks. Annick. Good morning, everyone. I'd like to start by acknowledging the presence of the caller of who has recently joined us as CFO. I am extremely pleased to have him on board and confident that he will be a great asset for the development of Transat. I would also like to sincerely thank Jacques Simoneau for filling in before Patrick's arrival. We are concluding the summer with revenues that are still limited, but pointing the right direction. 
At $63 million, our revenues for the fourth quarter represent about half of what we saw for the whole year. That's also more than double the revenue for the same period last year. Our results for the quarter are better than last year's due to an improvement in load factors and also partially because of one of elements that weighted negatively on the results last year. They're in line and even slightly better than the objectives we established as part of our restart plan. Most importantly, we have kept the cash burn in check at $50 million per month despite the cost incurred for the restart of operations since July 30th. Patrick will comment in more details on the financial elements. Our operations are now well underway. For winter, we expect to operate a global capacity at around 60% of what it was in 2019, starting at 50% and gradually increasing to 75 we offer direct flights from eight Canadian gateways to 22 destinations in the South, five in the U.S., and eight in Europe. Our transborder offer includes two new destinations in Florida, Miami, and Fort Myers. This comparatively solid winter program will constitute an excellent bridge into the summer season, where we foresee a capacity close to our pre-pandemic levels, reaching about 90% of 2019 level. At the height of the season, we will operate to 45 destinations in Europe, to the south, within Canada, and in the United States. From Montreal, a total of 19 European destinations will be accessible via direct service, including a new route to Amsterdam. From Quebec City, a new exclusive route to London is also added to our portfolio, and we will restart our service to Paris. And out of Toronto, travelers will be able to fly to 15 key European destinations. We will strengthen our position in the United States from Montreal with the addition of Los Angeles, San Francisco, and year-round operation to Miami. Finally, we will offer a selection of our most popular destination in Mexico and the Caribbean out of Montreal, Quebec City, and Toronto, as well as domestic flights between five Canadian cities, Montreal, Toronto, Quebec, Calgary, and Vancouver. As you can hear, this is quite a rich offer from Eastern Canada. We are, of course, monitoring the situation, especially in connection with the Omicron variant and are ready to adjust our capacity as the situation may require, but we are quite confident that we are now evolving in the right direction. Thanks to the modernization and simplification of our fleet accelerated through the pandemic, we can better adapt to demand while increasing aircraft utilization and reducing our costs. We now have, and will have for the future, among the simplest and most efficient fleet models in North America, a game changer in our ability to improve our competitiveness. Our operation also allows us to bring our employees back to work. As our fiscal 2022 began, we had about 2,000 active employees in Canada as compared to 750 at the height of the crisis in the spring spring of 2020 and again at the same time this year. 
We are constantly recalling staff and we expect to have around 3,500 by the end of 2022. Our recalls are going well and despite the labor shortage that rages, we do manage to fill in our positions. We had experienced some difficulties with our call center as the need there proved steeper than what we had expected. This provoked some lengthy wait times for our customer, for which we have offered our deepest apologies. We have put in, place a, put in place a wide array of measures from making it easier for our customers to make modifications online, to improving our salary condition, and we are now seeing the situation improving steadily. Our employees are the key to our success, and we are so grateful for programs like Q's, which have helped keeping them on board during this crisis. While some of them were not at work for us, with us for the past 20 months. An impressive proportion of them is willing to come back though, and I want to thank them for their engagement and their resilience. I also want to thank those who have stayed on during the whole period holding the fort and whose extraordinary dedication and hard work now allow us to look towards the future with much more confidence than ever. Another important factor in our post-COVID development, and we have pointed it out many times already, will be our capacity to forge alliances to strengthen our network with complementary offers from other carriers. This is key to our growth strategy. That's why the announcement of a first co-chair agreement with WestJet was important for us, and you can also expect other announcements of the same kind in the upcoming year. In the meanwhile, we have also developed our virtual interline agreement through our Connectair by Air Transat service that conveniently offers interlining options to our customers with minimal system integration and development effort. This now allows us to offer more than 130 extra de destination with EasyJet in Europe, Avianca in South America, and Vueling in Spain. Moreover, we are unveiling today the upcoming integration of Pascan Aviation into our partner portfolio. Our passengers will be able to connect a transat flight with the network of this regional airline out of Montreal and Quebec as a first step towards a commercial cooperation with them to better serve our regions in Quebec. We place great importance on social, corporate, social, and environmental responsibility, which is fully linked to the future of our industry. The climate emergency is at the center of our concerns. Unfortunately, hybrid and electric aircraft will not be available for several years. In the arsenal of tools available to us to reduce GHGs, fleet modernization, fuel efficiency measures, and the use of sustainable aviation fuel are key elements. This year, we became the first airline in Canada to have secured a significant volume of electrofuel over a long period of time, 
with the signature of a commercial agreement for 90% of SAF Plus Consortium sustainable electrofuel to be produced at its first Montreal plant. Projects like this will help lead the aviation industry to a revolution while contributing to the achievement of GHG reduction targets in Quebec and Canada. Before concluding, I would like to acknowledge the contribution of Louis-Marie Beaulieu and Jean-Yves Leblanc to Transat's Board of Directors, as both will be leaving us at the end of this month. And I am very pleased to announce that Mr. Daniel Desjardins and Mrs. Julie Tremblay have accepted to join the board and bring their tremendous experience to the table to help Transat develop in this new phase of its history. In a nutshell, we are sharing today results that reflect the depth of the COVID crisis on worldwide travel and aviation in general, and Transat in particular. But we are extremely confident that we have everything in place to rebuild and redevelop as a company that will be stronger and more profitable than before the crisis. 2022 will be a demanding year, no doubt, and we have a lot on our plate, but it will also be the most exciting one as the first year into our strategic plan and of a new, even more ambitious era. Patrick will now give you more details about our financials. Thank you, Annick, and good morning, everyone. I'm glad uh, to be sharing our financial results uh, with you. Since the restart of our operations on July 30th, we have witnessed encouraging signs of a recovery as our capacity has ramped up through the fourth quarter and we are seeing much more robust load factors compared to 2020. However, and without surprise, our fourth quarter results were again significantly impacted by COVID-19. While we have secured financing through the LEAVE program last April, and while we resumed operations on July 30th, preserving cash has been and remains a top priority. To this end, we have reduced our monthly cash burn to an average of $15 million per month during the fourth quarter, which is a sequential improvement from our cash burn in the third quarter, which was an average of $20 million per month on the back of stronger demand in Q4 as compared to our internal plans. Liquidity remains solid with cash and cash equivalents of $433 million and undrawn facilities of $170 million at the end of Q4 for a total unrestricted liquidity of over $600 million. With respect to our debt, we are currently analyzing all options to optimize our capital structure and to ensure we have a strong footing to execute on our strategic plan. And now for our Q4 results. Revenue stood at 63 million, up from 28 million in 2020. Compared to last year, higher vaccination rates, confidence in traveling is much higher, leading to improved capacity and load factors. Adjusted EBITDA was negative 58 million for the quarter compared to negative 91 million in 2020. 
Despite cost control measures, this quarter included expenses relating to the resumption of operations, while last year's quarter included expenses relating to the settlement of fuel hedging contracts put in place before the pandemic for $23 million. Adjusted net loss was $118 million for the quarter compared with $156 million last year. As per our statutory financial statements, net loss was $121 million compared to $238 million last year, a $117 million improvement. Of this improvement, $77 million is explained by a decrease in special items as compared to 2020. This quarter included special items of $20 million, composed of essentially impairment of assets of $13 million, which includes the impairment of an aircraft that will no longer be used until it is returned to the lesser and severance expenses of $7 million. This um, item of $20 million is mostly offset by $15 million of favorable change in the value of our warrants that were issued at the end of the second quarter relating to the LEAF program and $7 million in FX gains. Last year, our fourth quarter net loss included special items totaling $97 million, which mainly consisted in impairment charges totaling $87 million. For the full year 2021, results were significantly impacted by COVID-19. Revenues were $125 million, a decrease of 90% compared to last year. Adjusted EBITDA was negative $214 million for the year, compared with negative $122 million in 2020. We recorded an adjusted net loss of $446 million, or $11.83 per share, compared with $355 million, or $9.41 per share a year ago. And as, our, as per our statutory financial statements, we recorded a net loss of $390 million compared with $497 million in 2020. Now with respect to our balance sheet, the corporation's cash and cash equivalents totaled $433 million as at October 31st, compared to $426 million at the end of October 2020. As previously mentioned, the cash burn during the quarter represented an average of $15 million per month. This amount does not consider the proceeds from borrowings nor the reimbursement to customers. For winter 2022, the cash burn is expected to remain within the range of $15 to $20 million per month as we continue ramping up our activities. And as of October 31st, cash and trusts or otherwise reserved totaled $140 million, while deposits for future travel stood at $292 million. At the end of November, we had received requests for about $460 million of the amount of credits issued and made refunds for 99% of amounts claimed. The reimbursements made during the summer were partially financed by drawdowns on the 310 million LEAF facility. The difference comes mostly from reimbursements made with cash held in trust. As of October 31st, drawdowns on our credit facilities totaled 650 million compared to 585 million last quarter. 
During the quarter, an additional amount of $20 million was drawn on our $390 million LEAF facility, and an additional $45 million was drawn on our 310 credit facility relating to customer reimbursements. This facility is now fully drawn. Lease liabilities stood at $956 million, which includes 10 A321neo-LRs, of which four were commissioned during the year. Off-balance sheet agreements, excluding agreements with certain smaller suppliers, stood at $550 million, mainly related to seven Airbus A321neo-LRs yet to be delivered as at October 31st. Finally, as you can read in our press release from this morning, we will not provide an outlook, a financial outlook, for the winter of 2022. That said, as mentioned earlier by Anik, we are planning to ramp up capacity across all of our markets over the course of winter 2022 with an average of 60% of the capacity of 2019, but we will remain vigilant to adapt capacity with demand, whether up or down. At a more granular level, for the Sun destinations, our main program for the winter Capacity in 2022 represents 55% of 2019. On transatlantic routes, where it is the low season, capacity represents 65% of 2019. And finally, on our transborder routes, capacity represents 145% of the capacity of 2019. Thank you, and we will now open it up for questions. Thank you. As a reminder, today's call is recorded. For analysts wanting to ask a question, please press the 1 followed by the 4 on your telephone. Pour les analystes qui désirent poser une question, s'il vous plaît, appuyez sur le 1 suivi du 4. Un moment. One moment, please. And our first question comes from Benoit Poirier, Desjardins Capital Markets. La parole est à vous. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, everyone, and congrats, Patrick, for your new role at the Transat. Could you maybe share some uh, of your first impression on Transat, the travel industry, and where would you like to position uh, the company from a, a financial standpoint? Hey, good morning, Benoit, and, and good to hear from you, and thanks for, uh, thanks for the words. Look, I mean, I think, you know, the travel industry has gone through a very difficult uh, past few months and years, uh, but, but everything points in the right direction. If you look more closely at our numbers, um, the last quarter was just an indication of that um, with our revenues that are double of last year, and we're clearly on a strong, uh, strong footing. And so, um, no pun intended, sky is the limit. Uh, but from a financial standpoint, um, you know, obviously there's work to be done, um, um, as we alluded in the past, on the uh, financing side, and we think there's an opportunity to provide a strong footing for the company and align with the development and the growth uh, of our business. Okay, that, that's great. Thanks for the caller. Any uh, timing for such a, an announcement with respect to uh, refinancing initiatives? Uh... Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a great question. I mean, you know, as we mentioned in the past, we're, we're looking at all options. Uh, we're looking at, you know, no, stern, no stones unturned. We're looking at all types of instruments and markets. Uh, we think there's an opportunity. There's a window of opportunity now. We just want to make sure that we do a thorough homework before we 
uh, proceed with uh, a financing. Uh, obviously, there's some clear objectives in that financing. We want it to be financially accretive to the company on one side, and secondly, we want to reduce uh, risk as well. Um, and for sure, we want that financing to be working hand-in-hand -hand with the business plan that we've announced uh, in the past, and we have a very clear five-year five plan, a, a very clear strategic path, and we want to make sure the financing is aligned with that. Okay, and you provide great color in terms of the expectation for cash burn, the, the capacity for uh, this winter, next summer. I'm just wondering, given that, that there's been change in the strategy, now you have a much more uh, optimized fleet, uh, and also the code sharing agreement that you just signed. Any thoughts about where the transact margin profile could evolve once uh, you recover to the uh, pre-crisis levels? Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I appreciate the question, but no, I think it's a little early to tell. Um, obviously, when we look under the hood on our strategic plan, we, we, we are strongly, we're confident that we will return to pre-pandemic margins and beyond. Uh, but I think it's a little bit too early, uh, too early to say, uh, Benoit. Okay, Maybe. and last one. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, maybe I can comment on that because that's uh, that's important. Uh, that's important for us. Uh, we are consolidating our operation, uh, as you know, as we announced in uh, in Eastern Canada, where we are extremely well positioned with solid market shares, and we will be there for uh, next summer. Uh, Transat has had the largest market share on all, almost 75% of its uh, transatlantic transatlantic routes, a market that has always been profitable for us uh, with 95% of market share out of Quebec and near 50% out of Ontario. Um, so with that uh, and rebuilding that uh, network, I think it's very important to understand that we have a solid base. Now we are putting in place everything that is required to increase our efficiency. Um, so there's a clear path to improve overall operational and financial performance. Uh, our fleet simplification, of course, as we've talked in the past, is going from four to two types of aircraft, uh, entirely compatible with the most efficient aircraft on the Atlantic market, the Airbus A321LR. Uh, we have significantly reduced our number of wide aircraft to increase our agility in the market. And we now, we now have, uh, as I was saying uh, in the opening remarks, one of the simplest and most effective, efficient fleet model in North America, and our cost structure is becoming among the most competitive ones as well. And by consolidating our operation in Eastern Canada, where we are extremely well positioned with solid market share, I think that we're going to be... Uh, we're going to be very well positioned uh, for the future, and the, the new fleet has allowed us to redesign the network to significantly reduce seasonality and increase fleet utilization, two main factors that have clearly prevented us from being performance in the recent years. So we already have a plan to exceed our historical aircraft utilization by next summer, so it looks uh, very promising uh, for, uh, the, uh, for future um, profitability. Okay, and last one for me, uh, with respect to the new variant, I understand you'll be agile, but have you seen any change uh, in, in the booking so far? 
Uh, overall, we we are seeing book we are seeing a definite recovery in demand. The level of booking observed uh, over the last month has been encouraging. Without any surprise, though, um, demand has slowed down over the last week with the recent uh, uncertainty created by Omicron, and especially with the measures that have been imposed again at the Canadian borders, including the uh, quarantine. But we believe that the impact will not last long with what we are hearing around limited consequences of Omicron. Already so, we just looked at the numbers this morning. The bookings were picking up, have been picking up during the last few days as a result of the encouraging news on limited threat of Omicron. Okay. Thank you very much for the talk. Thank you. The next question comes from Tim James, TD Securities. Please go ahead. Uh, thank you. Uh, good morning, and uh, yes, con congratulations, Patrick, on the appointment. Um, I'm just wondering if you could talk a bit about the approximate timing um, of the remaining uh, 321 LRs that are coming into the fleet. Uh, I believe you've, you've indicated that it's by two fiscal 20. I think it's fiscal 23 or calendar 23. Maybe you could clarify that, and then just talk maybe about any indications of timing within that that period. Yep. So just to give you an overview of our fleet, so in terms of A321-NEO-LR, we have uh, 10 right now in the fleet, and we will have two additional ones next spring, so spring of 2022, uh, for a total fleet of 31 aircraft, including 12 A330s and 7 uh, A321-CEOs. We are expecting the the remaining of the A321 LRs, so five, because we had a total, an order total of uh, of 17 in spring of 2023, and two in spring of summer, of two in spring 2023, and the remaining two ones in spring of 2024. That being said, uh, we will plan additional aircraft for the next five years. Uh, these needs, of course, for aircraft will be aligned with our projections of future demand, and we will communicate new leasing in due time. Okay, thank you. Um, my second question, I'm wondering if you can talk about um, you know this WestJet co-chair agreement. I think looks looks very exciting for for Transat. Can you sort of talk from a the perspective of of travelers and and where um, you know that that benefit that opportunity of the partnership will kind of show up and and expand the um, I guess the the travel options uh, for for Transat customers. Yeah, so we have uh, different partnerships. We signed the, the current partnership with WestJet and working on other uh, as well. So the benefit, uh, of course, for our customers, they will have access to an extended network of routes and destination. The whole goal of partnership overall is to increase the level of passengers through new, re new streams of passengers on our uh, uh, existing uh, network. And for customers, uh, the, the partnership we have with WestJet, which is a code share, allows one single booking and check-in from flights operated by the, you know, the two different airlines. 
there's also protection in case of flight delay and cancellation. So it's a great partnership. It's the first uh, that we have, first of many to come, and uh, we are very pleased by that. In terms of routes, uh, we said we would announce them because we are finalizing the, the details of the different routes. We are finalizing the, the agreement. Um, but uh, in terms of scope, it will involve some uh, routes that, of course, uh, domestic routes that uh, ends a couple of uh, transborder routes that WestJet operates that will connect onto our, um, our, uh, our, our departures and, and that will feed uh, mostly our European uh, network. Okay, that's great, thank you. And then just my final question, um, maybe for Patrick, there, there was a comment about the fourth quarter. Um, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but the cash burn being uh, better than than you expected. I'm just wondering if you could talk about specifically what that was. Was it really a function of the, the pickup in bookings and therefore uh, cash deposits coming in for future travel, or what was the reason behind the, the better than expected uh, cash performance? Yeah, Tim. It's uh, I mean, it's it's frankly a, a level of activity and bookings uh, that were beyond our internal plans. It was uh, mostly that. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. The next question comes from Konar Gupta of Scotiabank. Please go ahead. Thanks and uh, good morning, everyone. And uh, echo my uh, comments to Patrick. Uh, so welcome to to the earnings call. Um, Maybe the first one to 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 ask. I think I'm just uh, following up on Tim's question uh, on the bookings. Um, is there um, is there uh, like there's a seasonality obviously in bookings uh, where you see maybe the first quarter um, being pretty strong uh, from working capital standpoint, and then you know it winds down. Uh, given the kind of situation right now, you know the new variant uh, plus uh, the the you know travel optimism due to vaccinations, etc. How do you how do you see the bookings uh, shaking out uh, with respect to seasonality? Do you still expect similar seasonality as normal, or would, would it be different this time? Um, just to, to maybe to add some color on what I said previously, what we are seeing right now, first of all, just before the announcement of the new variant, we were seeing. Uh, solid bookings uh, throughout the, uh, the the winter season, as well as a little bit of the uh, during the for the next summer season. Uh, that being said, we need to take into consideration, and we have mentioned it before, that the booking pattern has uh, significantly changed over the last 18 months. Well, especially in the the last six months, and the the bookings are much more last minute. So it's a little bit more difficult for us to be able to predict, but so far, what we've been able to put in the market as, capac as capacity uh, has proved that we were you know, pretty much correct in terms of uh, demand forecast. That being said, the impact of uh, Omicron uh, that we've seen over the last week, uh, more importantly last week, less importantly over the last two days, is specifically in the short term. So it affects uh, the um, the, uh, the bookings for December and January. And we, of course, receive a lot of calls from customers uh, who do not understand, you know, what are the new travel restrictions because it's very 
complicated to be able to understand the restrictions from a consumer point of view. So everybody is, is asking questions, should I wait? So people, we, we've seen a lot of people, not a lot, but a couple of people who have been delaying their travel. So they call us, they had planned to go uh, out on vacation in January, calling back to say, you know, let's postpone for two months. So putting back their, uh, their travel in March or April. So we are seeing some postponing, however, uh, we are not seeing any movements at this point, you know, around uh, uh, March, uh, April, uh, not for the summer either. So that's, you know, remaining uh, in February. So we haven't reacted in terms of decreasing the prices, changing the network, because we know this is, this is going to be temporary. And you know, at one point, I think we have much more visibility than we used to have a year back. And uh, we, we, we need to be uh, strong on the nerve side and not to react too much uh, and wait uh, to see the, uh, to, to see, as we are seeing right now, encouraging uh, news on the limited threat of a new variant. And of course, Omicron will not be the last uh, there will be others, so uh, we are getting, uh, I would say, a kind of a routine on a routine on how to manage uh, those uh, ups and downs in the market. That's great, Annick. Thanks. Um, and then perhaps uh, uh, follow up on the, on the court share agreement with WestJet. Um, I think it is still uh, being reviewed by regulators. So, if you can provide any color on, uh, you know, are there any areas of the court sharing agreement where the regulators uh, are showing any concerns at all? And uh, can you remind us uh, where is this court share going to be applied for mostly? Is it all transatlantic? Is it going to be transborder as well? We haven't received any negative uh, reaction uh, from the authorities so far, uh, so it's going definitely in the right direction. We don't see any roadblocks on that side, and as I said, uh, we are not able at this point to confirm all the details on which routes will be involved, but of course it will be a combination of WestJet's strong presence in Western Canada and our strong present in Eastern Canada on the uh, transatlantic market. Okay, that's great. Well, and then, uh, Patrick, uh, perhaps uh, you might have an answer for this one. On, on the hotel division side, um, so you guys have, uh, uh, you know, you're looking to divest the hotel division. Any updates there? Uh, what could be the timing and uh, what could be the magnitude of our proceeds? Yeah, thanks for the, the question, Connor. You know, we've announced in the past quarters that we were exiting the hotel uh, division, so you won't be surprised that we are looking at options uh, for the land uh, in Puerto Morelos. Uh, but again, uh, too early to say, but we're advancing in the right direction and, and we're considering our options uh, there. Great. And the last one for me. Um, you talked about the capital structure, uh, Patrick, earlier on this call. Um, you know, in terms of your strategic plan and, and, and the alignment there, what is what is the best metric to look at when, when you think about optimizing the capital structure? Is it the absolute level of net debt you want to look at? Is it some other metric? 
Uh, and does that also entail, um, you know, exiting the the government lease program like Air Canada just did recently? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a lot of all of the above. I mean, there's a lot of metrics, right? I mean, you know, obviously on an absolute level, you know, we do look at at leverage metrics and and benchmark ourselves uh, compared to other airlines. You know, whether you know total total leverage, including lease on buy liabilities, over uh, your profitability or an EBITDA or something like that. So we do look at at all of that. But like I mentioned earlier, I mean, ultimately we want it to be. Um, call it financially accretive to the company. And so specifically what we mean by that is reduce the financial burden on the company. Um, one thing to note on the LEAF program, there are also warrants included in that financing. So that also is part of the equation of making it uh, financially accretive, if I could say. And then the other you know, thing that we're looking at is making sure that we de-risk, uh, further de-risk uh, the capital structure of the business as well. So what that may mean is in, in terms of maturities and, and so on and so forth. Does that answer uh, your question? Yeah, I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Sure. Thank you. The next question comes from Kevin Chang of CIBC World Markets. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking my question. Good morning, everybody. Um, uh, Anik, you mentioned that you were seeing um, – you know, I guess bookings pick up again the past few days as headlines on Omicron suggest maybe it's it's, it's less severe. What what is uh, uh, any change in, in the destinations? Maybe people are looking to book into, or you know, I, I suspect there might be some hesitancy for some of the more international destinations given the restrictions versus you know maybe domestic and transborder where 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 travelers might be, face fewer fewer restrictions. But I wonder if you're seeing anything on, on your end to that effect. Well, m most of our network, of course, is uh, international. Uh, we are seeing, a, um, in terms of uh, booking trends, what has been strong is uh, all the VFR market. Uh, so between uh, Canada and uh, Paris, for instance, or Montreal, Paris, or Toronto, London, uh, uh, Toronto, Montreal, Portugal as well has been very strong uh, for this uh, for this winter. So we are seeing that the, the demand remains very strong. As of uh, the South destination packages, this is where we've seen a little bit more negative impact over the last week. Uh, so uh, destinations like uh, uh, Cancun, Dominican Republic, and Cuba as a whole, not more one than the other. I think it's the South uh, overall, but however, as I said, it's picking up. It's been picking up over the last two days, so that's very encouraging. Just before the announcement, just before the, 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 the media or uh, the news around the Omicron, the bookings for, for South Destination was going pretty well. Uh, we have opened a lot of destinations uh, for this summer. We have about 22, uh, and for this winter, I'm sorry, if we have about 22 in South Destination, and they have you know, have picked up in terms of velocity. They have gone very well. So um, so we're, we want to wait and see a little bit. I think that it's encouraging to see that the bookings have picked up over the last two days. And we, we remain, you know, very confident that the, the demand will still be there. Uh, the vaccination continues to progress. Uh, children's being progressed, children's under 12 as well being... Uh, being uh, vaccinated, that's, that's going to help, you know, for 
to support family who are looking to travel. That, that, that's great, Color. Thank you very much. If I could just ask um, maybe a, a further out question. You know, if, if I think back to you know, pre-pandemic and, and you pursued this hotel strategy, um, which, which, which you're obviously dissolving, you know, given the pandemic, I think the argument was, you know, that was where you, you could you could anchor a competitive advantage that be, being, you know, not, not having that hotel asset, you know, disadvantaged your, your network and your product offering versus versus, uh, you know, some of the larger established carriers you go up against. You know, when you look out, whatever it is, three, four, five years, you know, we're kind of through the, the worst of the pandemic and travel returns. What do you think your competitive advantage is going to be if, if it's not this hotel, given you've abandoned this hotel strategy? Uh, you know, just at a high level, I can't imagine, you know, reduced seasonality, getting some A321 LRs yeah. is, 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 is always going to take. So I suspect there's more to the strategy than that. I'd be interested in knowing where you think you, you, you carve out a competitive niche versus, um, versus some of your competitors. Yeah. So uh, maybe just to go back on what we've decided in 2021. So we launched, uh, of course, the, the, the new Transat or the Transat 2.0, which re- refocuses the business around airline activities. Uh, we really aim at becoming the best sustainable leisure airline uh, in the world. And I think we, we were not very far from that, but of course it will depend on uh, the recovery that we are going through uh, right now. So this involves several structural changes that have started to take place. Of course, a change in the company's governance, the closing of the hotel division. We we cannot be, uh, we've decided to move away from the vertical integration business model as we realize that we cannot be everything uh, to everybody. We cannot be uh, first or second or best in all the different fields. And it involves as well a clear path to improve the overall uh, operational financial performance as well, of course, ambitious targets towards uh, decarbonization. In terms of competitive advantage, we are, as I said uh, earlier, we are consolidating our operation in Eastern Canada where we are extremely solid, well-positioned with our market shares. Uh, So that's really important for us. I don't want to say it's not, not dominate, but we rank first on market share on more than 75% on all the routes we operate uh, to the, the Atlantic market, to Europe. And on the south, uh, we have the largest market share uh, on 50%, 57% of our routes, that's 77% in Quebec and 42%. Uh, the, the problem that we have is that we have great market share, but we didn't have the right um, the right cost structure. And I could say as well that the revenue management was uh, lacking behind. So as I said, the new brand, the new fleet has allowed us to redesign the whole network, reduce our costs. Uh, we are very well positioned to take advantage of the recovery of the leisure and traffic and DFR market. This is our t- target customer, and in the long run, we will be less impacted than the average market uh, by the loss of business traffic revenues, which I think represent 20% of the legacy carriers' uh, customers, uh, and but count for 80% of their revenues. 
we have among the highest brand equity and service reputation. We have the best leisure airline in the world. We we rank uh, uh, we have um, we rank among the the best uh, leisure companies in the world. Actually, we have the best leisure airline company. And we have been ranked with four stars uh, by the Skytrax Award. The only other Canadian airline uh, having this uh, ranking is uh, Porter. So when we look at all the assets we have, the market shares, the best fleet in North America, we will be highly competitive. We believe that when we look at the market, the Canadian market, the transborder market, and the European market, we will have the leanest structure overall to be able to compete in the market. And in parallel, we are working, of course, to improve uh, our revenue management, so we are implementing our new, a new uh, RM system, one, one of the best in the airline industry. Uh, so this will enable, allows us to increase RM efficiency, uh, especially in the existing context of the development of our airline partnership. So overall, as we get out of this crisis and we compare ourselves with our competitors, we think that we're going to be much more competitive than what we we used to be pre-COVID. And they, and that's it. No, that's uh, that, that's great, color. That's that's very helpful. Thank you very much. Best of luck as you execute on that, and, and congratulations, Patrick, on the appointment to CFO. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Our final question comes from Cameron Dorkson of National Bank Financial. Please go ahead. Uh, thanks. Uh, good morning, everyone. Um, I guess maybe first question for me is really more of a, a clarification. Anik, you, you mentioned, I guess, uh, in your prepared, prepared remarks, uh, looking ahead to the summer, uh, I think you said that you were planning to fly to 90% of the destinations. I just wanted to clarify uh, that was the case, 90% of the pre-pandemic destinations. I just want to make sure that wasn't 90% of pre-pandemic capacity. No, that was 90% of pre-pandemic capacity. And that's for the overall season because when we look more, uh, that's a little bit lower when we look at peak season during July and August. But overall, as we plan to increase our craft utilization, we are increasing uh, uh, capacity in low periods, so solar season in spring and uh, next fall, the following fall. So overall, it's reaching 90% capacity of versus um, of the 2019 levels. Okay, so yeah, my, my next sort of follow-up question was going to be, you've got you know, much smaller fleet, but I guess uh, the answer uh, to how you're going to get to 90% is that you'll be operating those aircraft in, uh, I guess, more in the yeah. in the shoulder seasons and the off-peak seasons that get you, gets you to that 90% of, uh, of 2019. Yeah, we are achieving this program, of course, uh, with less aircraft, with uh, eight aircraft less. And that's why we are able to increase our aircraft utilization for next summer compared to summer of 2019 by 10%. That's just the okay. first step because we're planning even more for the upcoming years. This is the beauty of the A321 Neo Long Range. I don't think that uh, a lot of operators can say uh, the same. Being able to deploy such an efficient aircraft on both our mission, South Destination, and European Destination, it's a perfectly well-adapted 
uh, aircraft uh, to our um, to our missions. Okay, no, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess maybe a question on the winter. I mean, uh, you've talked about the, the bookings a lot, but I'm wondering if you can discuss what pricing looks like, and I, and I guess maybe compare it to maybe the 2019 winter season. How, how are things looking from a pricing perspective on those sun destination routes? The the pricing depends on the, on the routes, of course. Where there is more capacity deployed, the pricing is more aggressive. When there's less, and we for instance, when we look at the Dominican Republic, where we are very strong and have strong market share, market share uh, we are able to generate uh, pricings that are similar to 2019 levels. Where we see more competitions, such as Mexico, for instance, uh, the, the price war is a little bit higher. Uh, however, since we have uh, less capacity in the market, we are able to uh, count uh, on load factors. So it's really a balance of uh, load factor, of course, and price per passenger. But overall, we think, uh, we believe that uh, we're going to be able to achieve decent results. Okay, no, that that's helpful. And Maybe, maybe the last question for me, uh, I guess maybe more around the strategy of, of uh, how you're going to deploy, uh, you know, aircraft onto new routes in the future. I was sort of intrigued by the, uh, you know, two of the, the new routes that you've announced for next summer to the U.S., uh, L.A. And, and San Francisco. Yeah. I mean, to me, those would be kind of non-traditional markets for, for transat, especially in, in the summertime. So, I just maybe you can talk a little bit about wh why those routes. You know, if we look to the sort of the future route additions, I mean, what kind of markets are you looking for? Uh, you know, what kind of characteristics are you looking for as far as new route additions, especially especially on on some of the U.S. transborder stuff? What we're looking at in terms of uh, transborder are really two parts. First, to increase our um, our market share on a market that is very dynamic, which is Florida, so that's the, the east part. Uh, besides that, on the east part of the U.S., we don't plan to deploy uh, our own capacity. Uh, we plan to develop the, the eastern part of the U.S., but it will be done through alliances. As for the western part of the U.S., which is very important for us because there's clear opportunities in terms of offer and demand, demand that is not being served. Uh, so we've conducted all analysis, and there's definitely a space for us to occupy between, especially between Montreal and uh, destinations such as uh, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Phoenix, uh, Seattle. So. This is uh, a, a market that we are looking at right now. There's not that much competition right now, and we believe with the A321 Neo Long Range that we're going to be able to deploy uh, a lot of frequency on these markets and be able to capture, uh, you know, revenues and uh, be profitable in those markets. So we're starting uh, next summer uh, with uh, gently <laughs> with two destinations. But eventually, in the years to come, we will grow, uh, especially on our own, with our own network, uh, to uh, the western part of uh, the U.S. Okay, no, that's that's very helpful. Uh, that's all I had for, for the questions, so thanks very much. You're welcome. And that was our final question. I'll turn the call back over to our speakers for any closing remarks.
So thanks everyone. Let me just remind you that our first quarter results will be released on March the 10th, 2022. And with that, uh, let me wish you a nice day and a wonderful holiday season. This does conclude the conference call for today. We thank you for your participation and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you and have a good day. Merci et bonne journée. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.